0: You are listening to Inspiring Your Shine. Hello, welcome to Inspiring Your Shine. And thank you so much, Jurgen, for being here. We are going to be talking today about accessibility. And Jurgen has an incredible story um, of he is now blind, but he was not born blind. And so I'm going to let him share that story. But most importantly, what I want you guys to get out of this today is I want you to be able to know and understand that, you know, as this time in these past couple of years, we have really focused on being inclusive and wanting to make sure that everybody has an opportunity and no one's left behind and that everybody is represented. Jurgen does an, an really incredible Thing in the world. And he is helping to bring this awareness to accessibility for people that are blind, particularly, but people of all disabilities to help make sure that there is accessibility for them. And so we're going to be talking about his journey. We're going to be talking about what you can be doing to make sure that your content is accessible to everyone and what exactly that looks like. And ultimately, how can we make sure that this world is accessible to everyone? So thank you so much, Jurgen, for being here with me today. This, I mean, I have... Oh, It is just, you've impacted my life. You guys are going to have a chance to start following him and see what he's doing. He's so entertaining. He's just like the most amazing guy. I literally watched his stuff for like an hour or two one day and I fell so much in love with him. And he has this lovely fiance named Carrie also, and she does amazing things. So I'm very excited for him to share with us today. And um, I think it's going to enlighten you a lot.
1: Hey, Rebecca, that was uh, an incredible introduction. I am very, very touched by it, and I'm very, very excited for our conversation.
0: Awesome. So would you like to start out by just giving us a little bit of background of like, you know, being that you were not born blind, which is an even more incredible story, like you can share as much information as you want. I think stories are amazing, and I love your story.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Well, I, I think you're right. I think it is important for people maybe to understand where I've come from, so because um, it, it speaks to a lot about something I really believe in. But I I lost my eyesight uh, the summer of 2019. So rolling back to July, I could I had almost 20/20 vision in July 2019, and then over the course of a few weeks, my eyesight started deteriorating. To the point by the start of all this, I couldn't actually read the flap uh, without a friend's help. Everything was getting very blurry. I didn't know what was going on. It was, it was really scary. And yeah. I went to a neuro-ophthalmologist, which you hear the word ophthalmologist, eye doctor, neurobrain. So it's about how the brain impacts your vision. And I went and got a brain scan and it turned out that I had a brain tumour. Pressing on the front of my on the front of my brain, pressing on my optic nerve. So that was evaluated, and it was clear that that was going to involve surgery. Oh. And basically, from there, I ended up having a nine and a half hour long bit of brain surgery where um, they did a right sided craniotomy. Which my friends kept asking me before the surgery, did I want to know what that meant? I said, No, I don't. They can do it. I'll find out then. And, but in fact, they cut from the height of, above my hairline, from the centre of my head, all the way down to the side of my ear. Wow. And the surgery was meant to take seven hours, took nine and a half, but they were able to remove about 97% of the, the mass, the tumour. There was, there was a little hope that my vision might come back. I'll be honest, it was a long shot. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a likely outcome, but it was a possible outcome. And unfortunately, it didn't. And, you know, I spent a couple of months post-brain surgery just recuperating as much as anything, getting my strength back. And, you know, I got myself down to November, December 2019 and realized that was the point where I was going to have to start figuring out life without vision.
0: Wow. And so it was because that damaged that nerve as it was pressing and growing?
1: Yeah. So basically the tumor if you like, squeezed the optic nerve. Mm. And even when they released the pressure, the damage to the optic nerve was so extreme that it was basically hanging on like a wire, uh, or like a very broken wire. But, you know, uh, my goddaughter is four years old. In January last year, I was out visiting my, my friends. They're part of my, my bubble in lockdown. Don't worry. <laughs> and they, she, she was, well, three at the time. She jumped up on my lap and asked me, Why what, you know, Jurgen, why don't your eyes work? Mm. And the, the simple way I explained it to her was, Well, my eyes work and my the bit in the middle of my brain that converts the messages into, into vision works, but the wire that runs between my two eyes and then all the way into the center of my brain is broken. So if you think about like all of those messages that get sent between your eyes and your brain, those messages are still being sent, but the wire in between is broken.
0: Wow. That's so crazy. So what was life like before you lost your vision? Like what kind of a career did you have? How has life changed?
1: I think without question, I am, this is something I've talked about a lot. I'm actually just in the middle of writing an article about it, but, um, we talk about you know privilege when it comes to white male privilege. Uh, I lived a very blessed life. Um, I come from a middle class family, I'm white, I'm male, I'm heterosexual, and I'm university educated. So, when it comes to the game of life in terms of how our society rewards people, I was doing really well and I had every advantage in life, really. Um, and essentially, I, I think the way the way I looked at it was I, I built up this career I um, was head of recruitment for a big American company for Europe and Asia overseeing recruitment in 17 18 different countries managing a big global team and uh, it all stopped it all stopped and I think one of the things that really struck me was I remember just after I came back to London a couple of months after I came back to London um, just literally just before the lockdown a friend who was an old colleague senior HR person took me out to lunch and she said to me ah oh, well you know Jürgen, the, the, the thing is now that you're blind you won't be able to manage people mm. and I, I couldn't comprehend what she meant and it took me a while to understand what she was saying but what I realized was that Everything that people saw in me, societally, white, male, straight, university educated, middle class, was now changed. Before all of that, now I was disabled. Mm. That's who I was to her. I was no longer her her colleague that she'd worked with. I was no longer the guy who'd spent 15 years at J.P. Morgan City, State Street, huge big companies building my career, I was the the disabled guy. I was the blind guy. I was the person that somehow now merited not just sort of sympathy, but pity. And I quickly, I mean, realized this feeling, this sense that I had inherently lost a massive amount of the privilege afforded to me by society because of who I was. And wow. we can talk about the merits of the right or wrong about the benefits I get purely for being a man in our society when it comes to salary and everything else. But I felt all of it, the way that she saw me now, the way that many people now saw me was as a disabled person. Mm-hmm. And that's it.
0: Wow. Like you just lost all your value just by that one thing. It's crazy. It's crazy. So, so how, like, can you share a little bit about like, okay, so it's like, this is the big problem that you now have to overcome, right? Mm-hmm. And so what were the things that you began to to do to start rebuilding your life after yeah. what you had known has now
1: changed? So it started, <laughs> started the 1st of December, 2019. And a friend had come up to visit from uh, from London she came up, to, came up to Scotland to visit me and with my iPhone I hadn't learned any of the accessibility features yet but I could answer a phone call and um, that, wasn't, that was it to be honest I could answer phone calls and I could phone people and she came up and then she started reading to me some of the things people have been posting on my Facebook page and on my old Instagram account which so I hadn't read any of it. I hadn't read it. Nobody had read it to me
0: right.
1: uh, since late July, early August. And she started reading these messages to me and something in me clicked that I, I, had to, I had to start. I had to draw a line in the sand and say, okay, we go from here. And that started with phoning uh, this charity in the United Kingdom called the RNIB, the Royal National Institute for Blind People. Okay. and they hooked me up with a technology uh, consultant who could, could teach me how to use voiceover. So in every iPhone, everybody's iPhone, and if you ever want a laugh, uh, you can turn on voiceover, which completely changes how your iPhone operates. Hmm. Uh, uh, someone I met on Clubhouse, actually, he tried it whilst on holiday in Italy and somehow managed to phone the Italian emergency services. So <laughs> all I'm saying is, if you do it, be careful <laughs> be careful uh, but it, it is in there for everybody and it, it has been since the iphone 4 and from there i started just started figuring out how to use my iphone again and from there i was able to get onto social media social media and i kind of first went back onto twitter and i started searching for blind people disabled people I found this huge community, massive community of blind people and other disabled people on Twitter who were out there talking about the pandemic predominantly. Mm. It's not the pandemic, but like the, the early stages of COVID in late December of the January. But then also was just understanding what was happening in the disabled community. And that took me to a place where I realised that Sitting at my mom's house in Scotland was not going to push me outside my comfort zone. Wow. It wasn't going to make me have to relearn things and reteach myself how to do things. So by late January, I moved back to London. And by early February, so almost exactly two years ago, I moved into a one bedroom flat on my own. And I remember at the time, everyone was like, you can't live on your own. why not? Well, um... Yeah, because I'm white. Yeah, I can live on my own. I'm not going to burn the place down. Don't worry, there's no gas. It's all electric. The chances I'm going to burn the place down are very limited, so don't worry. And I just started started going one by one. What do I want to do? Okay, I want to get back to work. So, okay, I'm going to have to go to occupational health. I want to go back to the gym, okay, and get taxis to take me to the gym I Can do that. Um, I want to... Well, I started eventually. I said I want to learn to cook again. I love cooking. So, you know, I bought a George Forming Grill. That was me relearning how to cook in a very simple way. And just bit by bit I started to look at all of these different things and I realized that, and it's a phrase I use a lot, it was I had to learn how to look at controlling the controllables. I mean, having lost my sight, there were so many things I was no longer going to be able to change about my situation, wow. about my life, about the world around me, about all of these things. But there was lots of things I could do. There was lots of things I could focus on. I could learn to get better at technology with assistive tech. I could learn how to cook again. I can learn how to use a white cane and get, start being able to get myself out of the house again. And yeah, that was massively slowed down by covid when it came in march but essentially those were all the things that bit by bit i started to improve and i realized that even if every day i took a really small step forward it was a step forward some would be better than others sometimes i'd take a step back because i'd lose a bit of confidence but that was the only way that i was going to be able to get myself to a place that i wanted to be in
0: wow like Such an incredible, incredible story. And one of the things that I teach all the time is, is like helping people to discover their purpose. And one of the things that I talk about in discovering purpose is um, your pain will often lead and, and support your purpose and the way that you end up showing up in the world. As much as people want to avoid that, it is the pain in our lives that end up shaping so much of what we can now bring to the world. And as I'm listening to your story, it's just like so incredible because I'm I'm listening and I'm thinking, okay, so he wanted to get back on social media because he wanted to be connected again. He could no longer you know, see and live life the way that he wanted, but he wanted to stay connected and it's important to you. It's a value of yours. And so you did that. You, you got independent by moving into your flat, you overcame the fears that everybody else had for you. And how interesting it is that whenever we want to do something new, and we want to lift ourselves back up into a new higher level, how people around us want to try to keep us so safe. But in that safety, we can't continue to grow. And so I, I love that you were like, no, I'm doing this. And then I thought it was really cool how you wanted to start cooking. So you got the George Foreman grill, and you allowed yourself that opportunity to build your confidence up in the cooking. So you didn't just start with your, you know, flambes and the the really cool things that you know how to do. You know, I think that it's just such a cool testimony of, of how life works and how successful people become successful is implementing these things that you've now shared in your story about taking the risk, giving yourself grace and building up your confidence in by just trying and experiencing things. And you reached out for support. By going to that blind um, charity and asking for what they could maybe do to help you was really cool, too. And that's so all these little lessons in your story is just absolutely incredible to me. Um, And especially, again, like going from privileged and like everything was going great, not a whole lot of problems in life, wealth and everything to like a completely new beginning. And I think that people really love to follow people's stories where they have to really rebuild from the ashes and you are a complete testament to that. So I just, Oh, I love your story so much. So now I would like to move forward. And now that you've, you've reconnected yourself and you started learning how to work your iPhone and learning how to work Twitter. And you, we know that you eventually get on to um doing things on Instagram where you now have a presence you are the blind foodie and um, it's really cool you guys he he cooks on there he shares really funny humorous reels and there's just so much great content and of course he's doing a lot of content really helping people to create more accessibility for people. Um, but can you talk to me a little bit about what you do to or what motivated you I guess to start creating? um content online because it would be one thing for you to be a consumer but now you've decided to be a creator which is a whole other thing
1: so can you talk a little bit about that I, I'd say I'm an accidental creator um, and even more so an accidental influencer and in that when and the reason I started the blind foodie was that when I moved in on my own And particularly when lockdown started, so, you know, 23rd of March in the UK, 2020, everybody was messaging me terrified about how the hell is he going to survive on And I was like, well, what can I do? And I knew a lot of friends wanted to ask me questions and had questions, but didn't necessarily want to ask it outright. So I thought about things that, well, what would they want to know? And I started talking about it on videos. Mm. And they were very long form and they weren't very well made. And the sound quality was pretty terrible and whatever it was. But that wasn't the point. And I was posting photos of my cooking attempts. And sometimes I'd guess right and take a photo and I'd capture the food. Other times I'd capture the sink or the mm. corner of the plate or whatever. And people would message me and be like, oh, you're you're good. And you you only actually took a photo of the corner of the plate. I'm like, it doesn't matter. That's not the point. I'm blind. I'm not meant to be a great photographer. (laughs) It's not in the list of likely things I'm going to be phenomenal at. Photography, it's not up there. And, you know, I wanted just to say to people, I'm okay. Yeah. That was the whole point. I'm okay. I'm doing things. If you've got a question that I've not had to ask me, Feel free to ask me because I'm not just going to tell you on the phone. I'm going to come on social media and I tell everybody. And if anybody wants to listen to it, they can. And if they don't, they don't. But at the same time, if you're ever worried about me and want to know what I'm up to, you can pop on there and have a look. And if you want me to talk about something you haven't haven't thought of, you can message me and I'll talk about it. But I thought I wanted to demystify my disability to some extent because I think what I realized was if I thought about it from my own perspective of how would I have coped if this had happened to one of my friends Mm. I don't know that I would have if I'm honest and rather than thinking everybody thinking oh well can can we ask that can you say that are you allowed to ask that I thought I'm just going to go out there and say things and let people know that it's okay and You know, what I'd say to anybody is, and it kind of goes to something you said, sometimes you've got to let your mess be your message. And I know it's a bit of a social media cliche these days, but it's true. true. And I did it. And then the next thing I knew, another big uh, vision charity in the UK approached me to be the front of their campaign um, at the start of the lockdowns, about blind lockdown life. And the next thing I knew, Stephen Fry's tweeting out a video of me doing this campaign. And people are messaging me going, "Why is Stephen Fry tweeting videos of you?" I'm like, "Well, I don't know. <laughs> um, it was just part of what happened, and that for me was the purpose about why it's how I became a creator. And I think when I realised the the freedom I felt posting, for one, but I realised as well that I could impact not just my friends, I can impact other people." I could reach, I could, because I found this voice inside of me that I was willing to go out and talk about these things. Yeah. I could go out and talk about these things on the behalf of other people like me who didn't have that voice. Uh-huh. So that someone might watch my video and they might learn something. And maybe they're the person that interacts with a blind person and it changes how they manage that interaction. Or they might send it to a friend and it, you just don't know who, who it changes something for. Because ultimately, what I realized was that from before my disability, I would have been rubbish because I knew nothing about visual impairment. Mm. Nothing. So I can't expect other people to know more than I knew when I was in their shoes. So I saw that then as my responsibility to try and do whatever I could to make sure that as many people as possible got the education I ever got
0: that is so powerful i just love you just have the best attitude and you're just such a warrior you just have like the best spirit and i've been able to meet you in person you came to colorado and um carrie is also from there his fiance and they actually have a really cool story because they met in a clubhouse room i understand
1: right yeah she she is my girlfriend uh not my fiance. oh i'm yeah, sorry I <laughs> <laughs> um uh, as she keeps telling everybody, something has to happen before she gets <laughs> that title. So. Um, but yeah, 17th of February last year, we met in a clubhouse room. Um, we, I admit that I then started following her around the clubhouse a little bit, maybe. And uh, she, her family's from Scotland, but she grew up in Colorado from age five. And we met in this clubhouse room. We started following each other around, it turned out. And then towards the end of April, we had a conversation about the fact that we liked each other. But lockdowns meant that seeing each other wasn't yet possible. August 11th, we met for the first time in Iceland. Uh, We went on a five day holiday to Iceland and met for the first time in person. And then uh, she came over here in the September for what was meant to be two weeks and turned into six and a half. (laughs) Then I went to Colorado, Uh, for Thanksgiving and stayed for three and a half weeks rather than two weeks. And then just before Christmas, she moved to Scotland. She moved to Scotland. She moved to London, uh, of all places. And we are now living together uh, here in London. And it has been an absolute roller coaster. But at the same time, again, I mean, you know, you want to talk about accessible social media. For a blind person, social audio has been revolutionary. Yeah. That's why I ended up on Clubhouse.
0: Uh And,
1: you know, a quick story I've told a couple of times, but in some ways, I met Kerry because I went blind.
0: Wow.
1: And I say that because I lost my sight. I got put on furlough from my job. I got made redundant because I was blind, let's be honest, but they they will never say that. I took a job with a charity helping people get into work who were disadvantaged because I'd lost my sight because I'd become unemployed for losing my sight Uh I then found myself uh, in a meeting with one of our trustees who said you need to be on Clubhouse I was like what on earth is Clubhouse and she told me what it was and I was at a social audio app that sounds amazing because hey for a blind person all the content's going to be accessible yeah and I joined Clubhouse February 7th I ignored it for a week and then I was on it for a couple of days when I met Kerry. And, you know, i fate, serendipity, the stars colliding, whatever. Call it what you want. I've said it before. I didn't used to believe in those gushy love songs on the radio, but I, I do yeah. now, I have to say. Yeah. And, yeah, that, and that's, that's why what, I thought
0: you guys were fiance. You know, like because <laughs> I met you in person, I got to see how you guys interact, and like you, you just—it's definitely a love connection. You know, it's a—it's a really nice match, and um, and so I didn't mean to speak
1: out of no, turn. <laughs> no, at all. It's just in case, when not you listen to this? I just feel as if I need to clarify. <laughs>
0: That's funny. Um, That is such a cool story. And so you, you began showing up on the clubhouse. You started creating things. You had been creating things as a blind foodie on Instagram. You're now known as a blind creator is kind of like a a label I guess you would hold because you have become an influencer. You are sharing the message of accessibility. You are fighting on behalf of the people when there is something that isn't accessible. So do you have any stories that you wanna share about like some changes that you are working on making or things that you've been able to get done or what you've been
1: doing? Yeah, I think making social media in a broader sense accessible is always going to be about incremental change. Mm-hmm. Because the reality is there are platforms who do not care about accessibility. They won't make lots of noise about it, they'll create some cool features, but the usability of their platforms tells me they don't really care about it. And as such, it's really about how many people can you educate, how many minds can you change, how many People can you get around to your way of thinking? And I think for me, that's then become about you know, how can I use different platforms to impart different messages? So, you know, on Twitter it's definitely much more of a political to informative approach around here are the here are the facts, you know, quite a stern call, you know, tagging the right politicians or organizations, whatever it might be, to try and get that change on instagram is definitely about um infotainment so information and entertainment Uh because we know people have horribly short attention spans on those Uh platforms so one of the things i learned from last summer through today was if i go on and lecture people on instagram they're not going to watch (laughs) they're not right if i can create a seven second video where they go away understanding just simply what alt text means, then they might go away and look it up. Yeah. They might go away and check the settings and understand it. Yeah. And they might then start using it. Not all of them, not maybe the I know first what time. I have. time.
0: Yeah, Yeah. you made that
1: difference for me
0: because we were in a course together and I had helped create some of the content and we wanted to make sure that that was accessible to you, that when you had a PDF that you could read all the stuff. And we actually had a little bit of a problem at first where it was reading a bunch of code to you and Mm -hmm. you had to get the right reader. And um, well, I since I've met you and and I've learned about like what is when you go, you can't watch a video. So your only context is what you can hear and what is in the alt text, if it's a photo. Um, now, if it is a video, is would you just read the description at that point? And you would want people to put that in the description?
1: Yeah, a video is a difficult one. So, I mean, I think from a broader accessibility lens, um, use closed captions, first and foremost, if there is uh, any sort of spoken word in the video. There's lots of reasons for doing it. Many of you will understand it, but the short of it is more people are going to watch a video. Mm-hmm. The young ones, I'm told, don't even watch videos with a sound on. So if you have subtitles or closed captions, as they're also known, more people are going to take in your content. It is always going to be hard to create video content where the only audio is the music and have it be accessible. Now, my own view on this is that not everything is always going to be accessible. That's life. Yeah. Now, What you can do is that if there is text information on the screen that's not being read out, I absolutely have that in your larger caption within your post. And if you want to include a short description at the very bottom of your post, so it doesn't really impact the, the, uh, the experience for anyone else, I would say you can also include a short description at the very, very bottom of your long caption around what is in the video or what's happening in the video. And I think that's the sort of, particularly in short form video or even long form video, that I think is the sort of gold standard of accessibility in the social media sphere right now.
0: Yeah, and changing that alt text on the photos because generally when we create a photo, let's just say in Canva, or you get it from your phone, it's going to be uploaded and it's going to just have like a number assigned to it. And so you have to actually go in there and like you can rename the photo to what it is, like explain what it is. But then there's also the alt text that you can 100%.
1: describe what's in the photo, and that's helpful to you. One hundred percent. So. I mean, Instagram and other platforms are getting better with alt text. If there is text in your image, it will almost certainly be pretty accurately uploaded into the alt text uh, feature. However, if it doesn't tell me anything about the setting or the scenery, it will say things like "man with sweater in countryside outside." But it doesn't. It's not giving me any. It's, there's there's no sort of I don't know conveying of the the. What's in your heart and what's in your head when you when you look at that photo and the way I always try and explain it is in the alt text. So just really quick lesson. If you're posting an image on Instagram, you go down to the bottom, you go to to advanced settings and you go into advanced settings. You'll go down, you'll see accessibility, then you'll see write alt text and you can go into that box and you can, it is an unlimited field. (laughs) You can be as verbose as you want. If your Instagram coach is telling you that you can only say 100 words in your caption or you've got to keep it short here. No, you can go as long as you want. Yeah. And I would say, imagine you're looking at the photo and you're on the phone to a friend and you are trying to convey this photo over the phone so that they can build up a picture in their mind. Because the majority of blind people lose their vision during life, not at birth. Mm. So most blind people, not all blind people, but most blind people like me, we can conceptualise colour. We know what a waterfall looks like, or a sunset, or a beach, or a mountain. So the more description you can put into that, the more someone's going to get from it. Like when I hear a really good alt text, an image builds in my brain immediately in my mind about what this is whether it's a plate of food whether it's a setting whether it's uh whatever it might be it doesn't matter it it just it adds so much value to the experience that other users are having on the platform mm-hmm. now if you are a business owner now i'm all about bringing the commercial viability or rationale for it too yeah if you are a business owner and you write alt text properly it helps your Google Analytics. Absolutely, you so that Google, Google Analytics, as you will know, Rebecca, now pulls in the alt text to verify the content of the photo. Uh-huh. So, if you use alt text properly and you properly validate the content of your photo, it's going to help with your business too. So, Absolutely. it's not just about helping people like me, which you should want to do because you want to be nice people, don't you, boss? But you, it's it's also makes good business sense.
0: It is. It definitely is because they're going to prioritize what you've written in there and it's going to put more context to what you're saying so that when somebody's putting in a particular search phrase and you've addressed that and it's in your photos and on your website, you've put alt text in every single photo on your website. It gives so much more authority to your website in those keywords and those keyword phrases to match you up with those searches. So 100% it works. Every advanced course that you will ever hear on like SEO, um, search engine optimization, will always talk about using alt text. So I agree. It is not just to be a nice person which I hope that all of us will want to now that we know and love Jurgen we will want to do that and I went back on and I'm still getting in the habit you know, but I have went back to things and been like, oh, you're going to now I have this vision in my mind of you and people like you that I want to make sure that I'm just doing that extra little bit of effort to be a kind human and to um, thinking about like, gosh, if that was me, what, 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 I would appreciate that so much, you know, so I think all of us for sure, no doubt, we at least need to be doing the alt text. But what are some other things that can be done? Is there anything else that can be done?
1: oh, there's loads, there's loads and loads. So like I said, for your video content, you absolutely want to use closed captions to help deaf and hard-of-hearing people. Uh, there is almost similar in a way to alt text, there is now a massive amount of users who don't listen to Instagram. Uh, they just watch it on silent mode. On mm-hmm. I don't know why, but it, it's a Because it, a lot of people it
0: in bed and their partner might be sleeping. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, yeah, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it happens right and ultimately there, there's a big piece of around there so 100% closed captions in your videos is a big one mm-hmm. um when it comes to your hashtags uh something that's called camel case so camel case is literally just capitalizing the first letter in each word in your hashtags so in the case of camel case the c and the c now this does two things uh, for anybody who's just reading your hashtags, if it's a complicated one, it's much easier for them instantly to pick up what the words are within your hashtag. But for visually impaired users like myself, it means that our screen readers accurately read out what it is. So if you are just showing a really good example, um, rather than, uh, so say you did hashtag whataday, it'd be capital W-H-A-T, capital A, capital D-A-Y. It's the difference between hashtag what a day and hashtag what a day. You know, it it turns it from being three words and from one word into three words. Yeah. And it, it's it's a quite a simple thing, but it has a, it makes a huge difference. It makes a huge difference, and actually, increasingly with some of the way in which hashtags are recognised within some of the platforms, uh, it does actually again impact it because some of them are now recognising. Uh, The difference between three words and one word based on capitalization. And it actually identifies them as different hashtags in some cases. I don't know for why, but it does because I've noticed on a couple of platforms. And
0: and that's huge because those hashtags are those mini search engines. So even when you're trying to search for something, um, you know, then it's going to be a miscommunication between the, the app and that for you to find things. And so I love that. That's simple, simple things that we can do. So can you share with us as we're wrapping up here, just, you know, I'm not gonna keep you here forever, although I love being with you. Um, as we're wrap, starting to wrap up here, what are some other things that just have really like been surprisingly bothersome to you like that aren't accessible for you? Um, and then we can talk, I would like to end with your like little airport story. And cause that was one of your viral things that's really been making an impact. So um, yeah, can you share? like a story around what's been really annoying or hard?
1: Oh, for sure. So I think for, for any brands listening to this, if you are going to put out content marking a day, so International Braille Day, International People with Disabilities Day, International Bl- Blindness Awareness Day, everything. There is literally a day for everything. Yeah. If you put out content celebrating that day, which I understand, Make sure it's accessible to the community it's talking about, because the amount of times that happens and it's not is absolutely bewildering. Um, so that's definitely a massive one. I would say on the online world, if you are a creator, do the alt text. It just do all the things i talked about. It makes sense. If you have a business website, um, there are a number of platforms you can try to check the accessibility of your site. So there is a platform called Silk. Tide, Silk is in the fabric, Tide is in the ocean, where it will very quickly do an assessment of the coding within your website and highlight accessibility issues. Amount um, of websites where coding is bad, but labeling of buttons is bad, uh, links don't work, uh, all sorts of things when you're using a screen reader. Mm-hmm. Check your websites, use Silk Tide, it's free and it's really quick and it's really easy. And it just gives you a really quick understanding of whether or not your website's likely to be accessible to people. And before we move on to that story, I'll tell you one massive reason why, huge reason why, the spending power of disabled people in the United States of America is four hundred and seventy-four billion dollars on a a year. Four hundred and seventy-four billion dollars that is the spending power of disabled people in the united states in the united kingdom it's around about 240 billion pounds. it is a huge market when you exclude us from your businesses from your websites and from your services not only do you do yourself a disservice but you also risk losing out on a massive market and a huge amount of revenue and i can tell you Disabled people, when we find services that we like, when we find services that work for us, services that are accessible, we tell each other. Yeah. Because we all follow, we don't all follow each other. That'd be crazy. But (laughs) (laughs) we're in very large networks of each other on different platforms, and you will get a following from it.
0: Yeah, that is so cool. I love that. And that's another huge incentive. Um, other than just being nice. Um, so I love that so much. So um, you had a bit is, is the post that you made at DIA, which I'm from Colorado. So it's just really interesting to me at DIA, you had an experience and you made a post about it and uh, raised awareness about it, which is great. Cause that's what makes change, you know, um, is that your most viral post yet?
1: It is. It's my, I mean, I'd say, you know, depending on your definition of viral. So there are people on Clubhouse who seem to think that if their account's quite small, the 12,000 views is viral. Uh, I don't think it is. I mean, this post hit 138,000. Nice. I think that's viral. That yeah. for me feels, you know, that feels viral. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've got a little over 2,000 followers. So that's a huge reach to attain. Uh Um, from that and I mean I guess in short what happened yeah I was I was in Denver International Airport and I was on the receiving end of a few Instagram DMs that I needed to create content because I hadn't been (laughs) for a little while and I was stuck in this moment which was very familiar to me because it's happened before but I somehow just captured this emotion within it. Now, effectively, when you're blind and you go through an airport, there is an assistance team who takes you through security and takes you to your gate. Now, they will atypically then normally just leave you in the vicinity of your gate and then come back to you a few hours later. It's not what happens in every airport, but that's generally what happens, unless you want to pay to get into the business life. So uh, Kerry had taken me to DIA, Denver International Airport, I was flying with British Airways and went through to security. And they took me to the gate. Now, my flight wasn't for another two and a half hours. And I was asked, well, what, what do I do if I need the bathroom? And he, he just didn't say anything and walked away. And I found myself then in the situation where about 40 minutes in, I realized I need to go to the bathroom. And people might say, Oh, you could have asked someone around you would anybody else reasonably expect to ask a complete stranger to take them to the bathroom and feel safe doing that? Would Mm -hmm. you, well, here's a question. Would you ask a stranger in an airport to take your child to the bathroom? Right. No, Mm -hmm. of course you would. not Mm -hmm. So why would I ask a stranger who I don't know to take me to a bathroom when I can't see who they are? They Mm -hmm. could do anything. Mm -hmm. That's really not safe. Clearly it's not safe. And essentially I fired phoning in the airport and I got through to the airport's customer relations team. He said, well, this is a British Airways problem. They, they manage the, the assistance within the terminal. So they said, we're gonna contact them. We'll let you know, okay. Half an hour, nothing, an hour. They, they've told us they're on the way, nothing. Hour and a half. Uh, well, um, well, we'll phone them back and then nothing. Now, an hour 45, I get this phone call. Um, our boss, the, the, the director of customer relations for the airport, the head of customer relations for DIA, you know, the fifth largest airport in North America, um, he's been watching the, the CCTV, he can tell that they're not even in the terminal. I was like, okay, so the next thing I know, this chap, the head, head of client relations for the airport, is at the BA desk about 30 feet away from me shouting at someone and then presents himself in front of me and introduces me and says, look, will you allow me to guide you to the bathroom? I was like, yeah, let's go. And uh, he subsequently submitted a number of ADA complaints against BA staff, a couple of airport staff. Changes have been made to the way in which the airport now manages assistance programs uh, completely BA's programs locally are all being changed. Their global policies are being changed. Um, I end up getting upgraded to business class. But the the reel that I made was me looking to the camera, looking side to side, sort of looking lost and shaking my head. And then the song that just sort of captured the emotion of it, I'm in the airport, I'm wearing my mask, and across my eyes, accidentally, I have to say, is the text that says... How would you find an airport bathroom if you were blind?
0: Yeah. I can't um, even imagine how scary that would feel.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it did, it did okay. It did three, four, five thousand 5,000 to begin with. And then about a week later, I looked at it and it jumped up to 10,000. I was like, that has got to be a glitch. Then it was 12,000. Then it was 20,000. Then it was 30,000. And then it just kept going and going and going and going. Wow. And I get, you know, I had a lot of contact from British Airways, unsurprisingly. I've had contact from Dumble International about it. And it it just it it reached people, I guess. It was the first time that I'd understood how to take my message, take the things that affect me, that bother me, that worry me, that affect me, mm-hmm. and put it into a framing where anybody in that second, in that moment, could try and envisage, imagine, contemplate how that would feel. Mm -hmm. And that's what I would say to anyone. You know, like we talked about, let your mess be your message sometimes. Mm -hmm. Be real, convey something that means something to people. Because if you can do that, if you can create content that conveys an emotion an experience that you've had, you are far more likely going to get a meaningful bit of engagement with someone, a more long lasting piece of engagement from someone because they feel connected to the moment that you had because something inside of them says, I wouldn't want that for me.
0: Yeah. And something again, so simple that we take, granted. And so back to like accessibility and equality and making sure that we care because it, it would, you know, like that would be a horrible situation to be in, to even like, know how to navigate. And then once you get in the bathroom, you have to try to figure out like where things are, you're touching on everything. It must be like such a hard thing. And and again, this is something that you never had to deal with before. And now this is your life. And I love that you are, you are navigating it for yourself. You're sharing your lessons with the world that you really are having this voice to try to make good change for people. And I'm, I'm truly honored to have you on here talking about this because it's one of those little niche things in life that until you have to deal with it because it's impacting you. You don't think about. So I'm really excited um, on the inspiring a shine podcast that we're getting to share this message, to share your message and to share this human story of, you know, your story of overcoming. And, and there's just so much more ahead of you and so many wonderful, beautiful things that you, you know, you have had hard times, but you're not letting it keep you from living life. And that is a very, very beautiful thing. So really really appreciate you sharing your story for anyone who wants to follow him can you um speak out what your the blind foodie how it's set up because um there might be a a particular way you've you've did it so yeah for sure
1: so you can find me on instagram at the underscore blind underscore foodie uh you'll find me on tiktok uh, and the same handle and if you want to see my political rants, you can find me on Twitter at Mister JD1984. And uh, Rebecca, I just wanted to say a massive thank you. i absolutely love this conversation. Awesome, thank
0: you so very much. And and Jurgen and I are friends, and I really hope to get to to um, England and see both him and Carrie there, and um, maybe one day a wedding. <laughs> we'll, we'll have. To. <laughs> (laughs) maybe that's ahead one day, even though I was trying to hurry it along. So thank you again for your time and we will be staying in touch. I look forward to um, updates from you and new things that you are doing. And um, I just really want to encourage anybody who has taken the time to listen to this story that they will make the effort to make things more accessible and do their part to make it a more accessible world. And are you still thinking about doing the... um, the accessible universe, or what is it called? The
1: accessible. I'm, pl- universe. I'm plotting. I'm plotting a podcast at the moment uh, called the Accessiverse. Accessiverse, such uh-huh. a cool name. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. And I think it's very much needed and how cool to like have other people be sharing their stories and their lessons that they've learned. And obviously anyone who has went through something like what you've been through, um, you have like massive character and just incredible um, story of overcoming. So thanks again, Jurgen, and we will be in touch.
1: Thank you.